Please open your Bibles to John chapter 3 and let us be reminded there of the cause, one of the causes that we have, and that is to stand for monergistic sovereign regeneration by the free and pure grace and power of God without human cooperation, approval, or assistance. John 3, verses 1 through 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We began a few minutes ago by the men gathering for prayer and hearing Solomon's words from his prayer of dedication for the temple that he built for the glory of God that there was a cause. His father David, when hearing and seeing Goliath blaspheming, the God of Israel asked, declared, is there not a cause why I should go do something since none of you will do anything? We have a cause. And our cause is a unique, rare, precious, true, glorious doctrine of regeneration. We then were taken to the house of mourning. The house of warning in Psalm 49. And it was perfect. There is not a better place in the Bible to read at a graveside to a mixed multitude than Psalm 49. It is perfect. It addresses the living. The high and the low, the rich and the poor. It's addressing the rich primarily throughout its verses, but it's addressing the poor because guess what? The poor want to be like the rich. So it gets them all. None of them can by any means redeem his brother. That was wonderful. Thank you, Adam. Perfect. Perfect. The first person, plural pronouns in the New Testament are not to be distributed to the world or a mixed multitude. They don't apply. They apply to us. Us. The elect of God. The apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. The believers with faith. The church of God. As those pronouns are used throughout the New Testament. God hath chosen the poor of this world rich in faith. We believe in decisional salvation. We believe in decisional regeneration. It's God's decision. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him that willeth, or of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. 
God hath chosen the poor, rich in faith. Why do we ever have faith? Because God chose us to have faith. Then we sang 145 in the Burgundy hymnals, and it said in the second verse, I need a Burgundy hymnal to help a failing memory. As long as the Lord never forgets me, I don't care what I forget. Verse 2, I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart. Faith is not something we work up or choose to have, but God imparts it to us. And someone might say he must be a Calvinist because he said saving faith. Forget the Calvinists. James chapter 2 says, can faith save him? No, but faith with works can save him. Because the salvation under consideration is the evidence and proof and assurance of salvation, and it requires works, and then it is saving faith. Faith without works is dead, being alone, and doesn't save anyone. The devils have more of it than any of us of that kind of faith. Then, in the third verse, I know not how the Spirit moves. That's Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 5. I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing men of sin, revealing Jesus through the Word, creating faith in Him. What a morning. I want to sing and quit. But we have a cause, so let's take a few minutes and consider decisional regeneration from a couple of different angles. Isn't that wonderful? God gave us our faith. He chose us to have faith. And He's chosen us poor people to have that faith. The number of billionaires in the world are multiplying as governments inflate their currencies and so that it becomes easier and easier to be a billionaire. And there's lots of them now. And we're not close to being billionaires. We'd have a hard time even counting what they own. But the Lord's chosen us rich in faith. Which would you prefer? To be one of the growing number of billionaires or to be rich in faith? Rich in faith. Rich in faith. Those poor people gave their lives. They would lose everything. They would die as martyrs because they were rich in faith. And of course, there's a play on the words there because in James chapter 2, the apostle's argument is, why in the world are you giving special treatment to rich visitors to your churches? Because He's chosen us rich in faith. And so there's a play on that word a little bit. And we're very, very blessed. And thank you, Adam. That 15th verse, didn't you want to jump up and shout about an inspired disjunctive? But God hath redeemed me. And then we got to sing it, brother. Thank you. Some great choices this morning. We didn't have hymnals yesterday. We'd have tore the place down. We were very discouraged. We all wanted to hug you, Charlie. I wanted to hug you the most. There wasn't a hymnal. So Johnny's back there with a failing memory, trying to remember the words to that song. (laughs) But we got to do it this morning. It was a pleasure. I've known that for a few decades, that that's your favorite song. John 3. Except a man. There's a condition laid out here. And except a man has the event that is described in this verse happen to him, he will never see, perceive, or discern 
the kingdom of God, that is the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, on in heaven at the right hand of God, but having part of his kingdom still on earth that is entered by gospel obedience and baptism. It is the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, unperceived by the world. They are running around with all of their little fun activities and goals and ambitions and crusades, and they do not understand that there is a king sitting on his throne, and he has rules by which we ought to live. And they don't see or perceive any of it. They're enemies of that kingdom. They're enemies of that king. They would say with Luke 19.14, we will not have this man to reign over us. He will have the last laugh with all such men. Our king reigns. And let's be thankful for him. And let's be thankful today that we see him and know him that he sits on his throne. The use of accept indicates an axiom of truth about perceiving the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, they're synonyms. The kingdom of Jesus Christ, it's a synonym in the Bible. For the gospel millennium that began with the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the ministry of John the Baptist, and preaching the reign of the Son of David over a spiritual kingdom that did not come with observation, but was among the people because there were citizens of it everywhere, but the Pharisees could not perceive them or discern the king himself. They could discern the weather for tomorrow. It's an amazing statement in the Bible that you are able to look at the sun as it sets or rises and measure whether it's going to be a good day or a bad day, but you don't know the fulfillment of the times that Jesus Christ had come. Their promised prophesied Messiah, even though God had given them a timetable to determine that He had come. Without the following event of being born again, man by nature has no ability to see spiritual things. If he continues in that natural state, he is a reprobate on his way to hell. If any man can perceive the reign of Jesus Christ, he is already born again. Let's just keep, let me keep rephrasing what it means when it says, except a man be born again, he cannot see. So if any man can perceive, he's already born again. If he's born again, God has an eternal purpose and result to glorify him. The eternal purpose began an election and it results in glorification in heaven because no one is elected that is not justified, called, and glorified. Amen. So certain is the, pa- is the glorification in Romans 8, 29, and 30 that it's in the past tense in your English Bibles. Right. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate that he might be conformed to many, that he might have many brethren conformed to him and whom he predestinated, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified, past tense, because it is so certain in the purpose of God. Jesus did not make an offer to regenerate anyone. There is nothing a man can do to be born again. You cannot and will not accept, believe, receive, or trust Jesus for such a new birth. You have to be born first before you will see, hear, believe, receive, accept, trust, or obey the Lord Jesus Christ. There's absolutely nothing anyone else can do to improve your odds for it. There is no manipulation. There is no evangelistic effort. The greatest of efforts was presented to the Lord Jesus, to, to Jesus Christ by way of parable by the rich man in hell who had four brothers and he did not want them to come to hell to endure the torments that he was enduring. And he said, Father Abraham, if you would send Lazarus back from the dead to tell my four brothers, he could keep them from coming here. 
Jesus said, if they don't like to go to church on Sunday and hear the Word of God, they're not going to believe even if one rose from the dead. Because they have to be born again. That is the most creative, powerful, manipulative way of conversion I've ever read about. To bring a man back from the dead. But it wouldn't do any good. Because God's got to change us first. And you know what? Those four brothers didn't like going to church on the Sabbath. They didn't go to the synagogue. They golfed instead. Whatever their problems were, the rich man knew they had problems and they needed an extra jolt by having Tim Tebow come and tell them that he's saved. But in this case, it was the poor man Lazarus. But it wouldn't do any good. Therefore, brethren, regeneration becomes an incredibly important matter for each of us. You are not a child of God and His redemptive purpose without it. But to them gave He power to become the sons of God. Power. Creative power. Resurrection power. Making alive power. Quickening power. Birth power. Conception power. Creation power. The words that the Bible uses to describe being born again are power words in the Bible. Words with such power that only a divine being can exercise that kind of power. And that kind of power is what regenerates us. There's only two kinds of men on earth. Sons of God or sons of the devil. Elect or reprobate. Vessels of honor or vessels of dishonor. Vessels of mercy or vessels of wrath. The first great priority, and we will not finish today without me spending more time on this point, the first great priority is to prove whether you or I have been born again. And the Bible tells us how to do that. And you looked at some verses last weekend in preparation for it. The second goal is that we live as a child of God to glorify our Father in heaven. Since He's birthed us as His children, let's live like His children. Let's make our Father in heaven happy. Let's delight the great God of heaven by the way we live. Third, Goal is to gratefully rejoice that you've been born again by His grace. We ought to be very thankful and full of praise for it. It's of much lesser importance how we clearly grasp how it actually occurs, and it's of lesser importance that we expose and destroy the heresies that are around us that are held by 99.99% of those that claim the name of Christian. Except a man be born again. This is the event by which a rebel sinner becomes a child of God by nature. By nature. We have a human nature. We walk upright. We can think. We eat through this hole, usually with a fork. We have a nature. We fall in love with the opposite sex and want to get married. We make love and reproduce. We have a human nature. We are conscious of our own existence as men and women, different from the beasts. We can reflect upon ourselves. We have an internal mechanism of accusing or excusing ourselves by our actions. It's a human nature. That nature hates God. That nature hates righteousness. That nature hates discipline. That nature hates authority. 
It loves sin. It loves the world. It loves self. And so we've got a depraved nature, a corrupt nature, a perverse nature. And it's what we were given by our first birth. As soon as we're conceived, we are conceived in sin, according to Psalm 51.5 and 58.5. We're conceived in it. Children die in the womb because they're in sin. That nature comes into being, and the Bible says that babies and infants speak lies from the moment they're born. And for observant, honest, and sincere parents, you absolutely know that is true. Because sometimes when they're screaming, like you've dropped them onto a fire anthill, and you hear that, and you rush to the, to the nursery to check the poor little child and to snatch it from the jaws of death, it just grins at you because it just lied and you believed its lie. And it got you down there to grab it. Now, I know that there's probably some women and some effeminate men that might be offended by what I just said. But that means you don't have eyes to see or ears to hear that scream and the four-letter words that are part of it cursing you for not coming at their request. Because it doesn't change. It's not that they go to the first grade in how to be a sinner. They know because we are born and conceived with a corrupt nature. What I'm ta- what we're talking about when we deal with being born again is a change in nature. It's not a change in standing. It's not a change in position. And this is important if you want to be theologically correct or if you want to be perfectly correct, soteriologically correct. Theology is the science of God. Soteriology is the science of salvation. If you really want to understand salvation, when we're born again, it doesn't change our status with God. It changes our nature. That's why we call it the vital phase of salvation, because it it has to do with the vital signs of a Christian. The vital signs of life toward God, love toward God, love of righteousness, hungering and thirsting after righteousness, The hatred of sin, the hatred of former habits and practices, the hatred of those that hate God. That change in nature comes from God. You can't change your nature. You got your first nature by your parents without your approval or permission. And you get your second nature from your parent, God the Father, who didn't ask for your approval, permission, or cooperation. He just chose to regenerate you by the life-giving voice of the Son of God. And we live spiritually. And we're changed. Thank you, Lord, for all that. It's giving a new spiritual nature that chooses and loves the things of God. What in the world happened in my life? All of you that are born again know that there's two yous inside you. And you choose, meaning that there's three... You choose which of you you're going to obey at a given point in time facing a given decision. You know that you have flesh raging inside of you that hates God and wants to do things its own way and thinks you have a right to your certain pet sin, to your personal pet sins. But then there's another man that always wants to please God. 
loves being in the house of the Lord, loves singing, loves hearing the psalm, loves hearing preaching. And you choose between those two which you're going to put on. Paul describes it graphically in the last few verses of Romans chapter 7. Being born again gives us new existence and life as a child of God with abilities Godward. We have human abilities by our first birth. We have spiritual abilities by our second birth. It gives us a new will that exists alongside our fleshly will. Thus, we are restored to a certain degree of free will. Because we have a new man, we have an old man, and we can choose between the two of them. And if we're feeding the new man, he's stronger than the old man. You can put him on and you can put the one off. That means you are stronger than him. And God by the Holy Spirit can give you greater strength to do that. And if you will guard your inputs and feed your inputs, you can feed your new man to where you make those choices. I'm going to do what's right in the sight of God. If you give inputs to yourself of the world, it's going to strengthen that old man. The new man's going to be suffering atrophy and shrink. And God, the Holy Spirit's going to be grieved and quenched and you'll find yourself, I can't do it. I can't do what's right. You have no idea how many emails I get telling me I can't do it. Pray for me. Pray for me. I'm in desperate straits. I can't do it. Because they need to hear that you've got to cut off the inputs to your old man and supply your new man with inputs and you absolutely can do it. You can stop any addiction. You can break any habit. You can end any relationship by the power of God through you. Easily. Repent. That's a rare word. Repent. And you can. He'll give you strength. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. But if Christ is not on a throne in your life, if Christ is grieved and quenched by His Spirit, there is no Christ power in your life. But there can be. And there should be. It's a vital event. Justification is legal. When we talk about justification, we're referring to our standing before God. God views us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's a standing. That's a position. That's how we're viewed legally. Through God, the judge of all. When we stand before Him, He will judge that we are righteous because of Jesus Christ's righteousness. That is justification. It's a legal work of salvation. We've been through these things so many times, but not everyone here or here have heard these things. You have to separate between them because this is the nature of a Christian. This is the new man that is a son of God, loves God, loves the things of God, can relate to God, and can be a partaker of the divine nature through the promises of God. He he has the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 it's an incredible change when we're born again. Look at 3.6. To stay with our passage here. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That's the difference right there. Those are, those are things of nature. A person that is just born to two fleshly parents, all he is, is a fleshly offspring. Just another human being, just another man, just another woman in youthful form. But he's flesh. His nature is flesh. His nature is sinful. His nature is physical. His nature is bodily. His nature is earthly. Then 
that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. The Holy Spirit being the source and agent of that regeneration is Spirit. There's a spiritual result, a spiritual child. There's a birth in both cases. Birth as a fleshly human existence on the way to hell. Birth as a spiritual existence as a child of God on the way to heaven. I hope you can see it. You will never be given this spiritual nature unless God elected you to it. If you are given this spiritual nature, you will most assuredly be glorified. It's the middle of the five phases of salvation. Eternal and legal go before it. Practical and final come after it. We can talk about sanctification. Sanctification occurs in five phases. One of those phases being that we continually conform our lives to live more and more holily. Holy lives. That can be sanctification. But when we're talking about being born again or regeneration, that's giving us a new nature. The first thing we do when we study this subject, and it says, except a man be born again. We don't listen to anyone but God. We do not listen to anyone. It doesn't matter who they are and how highly esteemed they might be. We don't care how many there are opposed to us. We have a cause, and the cause is God's Word. And God's Word on this subject tells us exactly how we're born again and how we are not born again. And it puts us in a very small minority. A very, very small minority. There are hardly any left especially that can articulate it. Lord, help us. We are nothing. But thank you for your grace in revealing things to us, and we will be faithful to them until you change them. And based on your word, forever settled in heaven, this doctrine isn't changing. No man should come to this verse of John 3.3 without perfectly grasping a verse that went before it, which I spent last Sunday on. But I I don't want anyone in here to ever forget that the only way an honest man ever gets to John 3.3 or 3.16 is he should read John 1. If he gets to John 3.3 or 3.16 without reading and understanding chapter 1, he is a liar, maliciously or ignorantly, because he is searching for sound bites that will justify his heresy rather than reading what John actually said in preparation for arriving at those verses. And what he said is John 1, verse 13, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That is the most definitive Bible passage about regeneration, and it was already given to us in the Gospel of John before we got to John 3.3. Most Christians, what do I mean by that? 55%? Most Christians, 99%, ignore John 1.13, even though John 1.12 does not end with a period. It's not a complete sentence. And it explains John 1, 12. Without verse 13, 12 leaves you hanging. Because it ends with a present tense verb. To them gave he power. Even to them that believe. doesn't hang to me, but it hangs to everyone else. Because the explanation is in verse 13. Which were born. 
To someone that is believing in the present tense, they were born. There was a past event that occurred to them. They were born again. And it tells us how. First of all, it tells us that it was by God. Just as we can read anywhere else in the Bible. It's the work of God. God creates. God gives life. God quickens. God resurrects. It's the work of God. But it tells us three ways in which we're not born again. It is not of blood. It has nothing to do with race or genealogy, or your connection to anyone else in the history of this world, especially Abraham. Because that's the one John, Jesus, and Paul had to deal with. Racial children of God by physical genealogy from Abraham. Wrong. Crushed and destroyed by three words. Not of blood. In our time, these are British Israelites that think we are the children of God by our natural birth, being the lost tribes of Israel that came to North and South America. Neo-Nazis, Aryan nation, and others who trust race rather than grace. It is not your genealogy. So we I said that already, didn't I, last Sunday. So what am I doing? I don't ever want you to forget John 1.13. It is not the will of the flesh... Do you know that every effort to get a man born again by asking him to do something, no matter how simple you make it, just trust God, just trust Jesus, just accept Jesus, just invite Jesus into your heart, just believe on Him as your Savior, just believe on Him as your Savior and your Lord for the Lordship camp. Those little efforts, who are you asking to do that? A man in the flesh. It is not the will of the flesh. No one has ever been born again by making a decision for God. Men are born again by God making a decision for them. And then executing it through the executive office of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is king, judge, priest, and all of it. There are no separation of powers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're all wrapped up in one despotic, glorious, monarchical king. Whom we should love. What an inefficient form of government to have parties warring against each other. On earth it may work sometimes, but in heaven it doesn't work that way. And when God had a government on earth, it never worked that way. All powers were in one man. But anyway, I don't care about that. All I care about is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has that executive office and he's the judge of all and he's the lawgiver and he's the great prophet and high priest of our profession. He's our apostle. He's the cornerstone of the church. He's the head of the church. He's everything. Unbelievable. Those of you that grew up in Arminian churches, you memorized John 1.12. But you didn't memorize John 1.13. Why? Partial in the Word of God. Partial in the Word of God. They didn't like John 1.13. It would have messed up their motorcycle lock-ins, their youth swimming parties, Tim Tebow giving speeches, and all the rest to get men born again by manipulating them into some sort of a decision. If you go to the sedan and fix a warm, hot meal for one of those little starving people that are over there? Do you think they'll invite Jesus into their heart if you let them smell it? Oh, yes. 
twice, once before, once after. Never being born again. If you have some charismatic, persuasive person like Billy Graham, stand and have George Beverly Shea sing Just As I Am a few times and have 500 plants. Anybody know about Billy Graham Crusades? Have Billy get his 500 plants to come forward all at once? Is there such a thing as crowd psychology? Did a million Germans ever stand and click their heels together and salute the Fuhrer? They'll come forward. Has anyone ever been born again in a Billy Graham crusade? Not one, not ever. Was, ever, was anyone ever born again by the preaching of the Apostle Paul? Not one, not ever. Amen. The preaching of the Apostle Paul brought into activity the life that God had given already by regenerating them. Amen. And that's all we ever preach for. Amen. Food, does food give life to a physical fleshly child? Food doesn't give life. You have to have life in order to appreciate and benefit from food, just like you need to have spiritual life before truth can help you. Truth does not give life. Truth educates the man with life. These are things God has taught us. It is our cause, and we are not going to move from it, and we need to understand it and believe it, and then we need to prove that we're born again. Let's get to the important part here. Lord, I've got a ways to go. Verse 13 When it says, nor of the will of the flesh, there is no preaching, there is no organ playing, there's no child evangelism, there is no manipulative efforts that can get the flesh to say something that results in being born again. That isn't the way it works. And so it says, not of the will of the flesh. There is nothing that a flesh man can do to become a spiritual man. God must make him a spiritual man. Then he can do those gospel things like believe and obey the gospel. We go to the last phrase that says, nor of the will of man. That's when parents or someone else tries to do it for someone. He'll help them get born again. And the most common error is infant baptism. Parents take their children to Catholic churches Presbyterian churches, Episcopal churches, Methodist churches, Lutheran churches, where they want to save those babies. Where do you think infant baptism came from? Crying mommies. It didn't come from the Bible. There isn't a single verse or example or precept about it. It's total invention of the Roman Catholic Church to help crying mommies. You've got to remember that in the Dark Ages, during the medieval times that they're called now in history books, it makes me sick. They're the Dark Ages because there was darkness all over the earth. Rome was the church that controlled Europe. Many children died in infancy to make sure those children had a better afterlife. They invented infant baptism. Why? To make them children of God. Because, see, Catholics were smart enough. Mark that one on your calendars. Catholics were smart enough to believe in original sin. So they had to get rid of it by baptism. Parents can't do it. So it says, it is not of the will of man. Parents cannot help their children be baptized. This verse indirectly crushes Rome and her daughter churches that practice infant baptism. Do you know what we've just done? We've just put ourselves in a corner. 
We have a big we have a big paintbrush and a big bucket of paint, and we just painted ourselves into a very small corner. And you know what that small corner is? Being born again is not by blood. It's not by the will of the flesh. It's not by the will of man. It's only by God. Amen. That's, that's the corner we're in. Amen. Do you like the corner? Amen. I love it. I've loved it since I was 19 years old. Thank you, Lord. Amen. It's our cause. So the first place you start when anybody wants to take you to John 3.3 3, or when you're thinking about being born again, the first place you go is 1.13. Well over 99% of all Christians are condemned as heretics by John 1, 12 and 13. Any parents that take their little infants to get them baptized, thinking that they are helping them in any such, in any way toward regeneration, they're heretics and they're condemned by these two verses. Heretics doesn't mean they're going to hell necessarily. Heretics just means they're wrong. You know, people don't even understand the Bible anymore. If you call somebody a heretic, do you know how they interpret that? That we just said, go to hell. We didn't say that when we said you're a heretic. All we said was, you're a heretic. Do you know what it means? You're guilty of heresy. What's the crime of heresy? You believe something that's not true. But see, they don't know. They call us legalists. There's no, there's no church on earth that is less legalistic than this church. Because legalism is the works of Moses' law in order to get to heaven. We can't even comprehend the charge. We don't have any works of any kind, any faith system, any system at all to help us get to heaven. It's all of God, but they call us legalists. Do you know why they call us legalists? Because we pulled our steeple off. Because we don't have a piano over here on the left-hand side and an organ over here on the right-hand side and... Let's see, which side would you put the American flag on? I think it goes on the right-hand side and the Christian flag over here on the left side. We don't have that junk, so we're legalists. Legalism. Legalism, and the Apostle Paul had to deal with it for many chapters in the New Testament, is adding the works of Moses, the laws of Moses, circumcision of Moses to the finished work of Christ. We've never added anything to the finished work of Christ, and that is one thing that we're different about them on. Nothing added. Don't ever forget John 1.13. I have to go on. I'm not going to forget it. I don't want you to forget it. It crushes all other schemes of being born again. One of those three phrases are going to get every false heresy about being born again. Love that verse. Don't forget that verse. Know where it's at. Write it, write it beside every problem verse you have. And remember that before anybody can get you to John 3, you've got to take them through John 1. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. How many people are you going to get born again if the darkness can't comprehend the light of Jesus Christ? Do you know how far we made it in John 1 to get to that verse? I think it's about verse 5. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Thank you, Lord. You've made things so simple and plain for us. After we go to John 1.13, we should look at the words that the Holy Spirit uses to reveal this deep truth of getting a new nature from God. And he calls it being born again. That should be simple, shouldn't it? What did you have to do with your first birth? If Jesus said it's being born again, then it's, it's, it's got to be comparable and similar in some important respects, and that is you didn't have anything to do with it either. Did anybody ask you about being born? Did anybody ask you when, where, to whom you were going to be born? Did they ask for your permission? Did you even know what had happened to you for about five years? You know... 
you just had this great big thing with long hair and two warm milk bottles, and then you had this great big thing with a deep voice and always scratchy when he kissed you, and you didn't know anything. You know, when all of a sudden some, something changes in our lives and we're willing to listen in church instead of daydream, we read our Bibles, we get convicted, wow, we know that we're alive. And we want to start feeding. And as we feed ourselves, something grows. Just like when we feed that little child that was born physically, it grows. It grows in abilities. It grows in consciousness. It grows in intelligence. It grows in knowledge. And we grow the same way as truth is fed to us after we're born again. Right. And do you know how we gather all that? By the Holy Spirit. Simple choice of words in John 3, 3. Born again. Born again means that it is comparable to our first birth. And you had absolutely nothing to do with your first birth. Do you realize the genetic pool that your parents gave you that you can't alter? And you were not asked about it. How did you become the child of your parents? What process occurred? They generated and procreated you by a choice of lovemaking to conceive. In the same way, you become God's son by his loving choice to regenerate. I like it. Then we progress to other words that the Holy Spirit chooses. He chooses begetting in a couple of places. That's like being born. Regenerate is to reproduce or to generate again or to, to be born again. He uses that word. It's the doctrine of regeneration. Quicken means to bring, a, bring life to a dead thing. Ephesians chapter 2, Colossians 2, Jesus was quickened from the grave. 1 Peter chapter 3 means to give life where there was no life. And so we're given spiritual life where there was no spiritual life. It's called quickening. It's called a resurrection. First resurrection, Revelation 20, John 5, 25. The dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and live. It's called a creation, Ephesians 2, 10, James 1, 18. It's called a renewal, to make over again, to restore as new, young and fresh. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, wonderful words. The Holy Spirit chose all these words. And do you know what? All of them require divine power to execute. We cannot, we cannot do any of those things. Right. We can't create. We can't beget. We can't quicken. We can't give life. We can't resurrect. God must. So then we progress to the condition of man. Did you read the preparatory last night? Can I skip this point? Did you read the preparatory last night? Yeah. When you go to Romans chapter 3, and why don't we look at it so you can just see it in front of your eyes again because we don't want to forget and remember, there are others listening to this sermon that weren't part of the preparation process of our church, so let's help them by going to Romans 3 for just a moment. Romans 3. What Paul is doing in Romans chapter 3 is condemning all men as sinners in desperate need of a Savior. Because he comes to his conclusion in verse 19 and says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, and he's just quoted from a number of places, throughout the Old Testament. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped. Those verses are to shut up every mouth talking about some novel way of getting born again and of thinking that they can do something in their own strength and power or of thinking that they have righteousness to stand before God. These verses that were pulled out by Paul by the Holy Spirit shut the mouths of all men that every mouth may be stopped. And all the world may become guilty before God. There should be no doubt what these verses are for is to create universal guilt. Right. 
So we come to verse 11, there is none that understandeth. Now I would like to know what you're going to explain to a man that can't understand and there's not a single one of them on earth without being born again first that understand anything. I'm going to take the wordless book. Let me see a show of hands. I'll get mine up first. I know all about the wordless book. Oh, a few of you. You're all, okay. Very few. You know, Charles Spurgeon invented that little jewel. He only had three colors. Baptists have worked up to six. Six colored pages of that thing. And, you know, you're supposed to be able to be dropped out of an airplane in the mountains of Tibet and find some of those Buddhist monks there and be able to flash them three to six colors on a wordless book and tell them, see, this black page means you're black with sin. This red page means that Jesus shed his blood to pay for your black page. This gold page means you're going to heaven if you'll just say, I believe in Jesus. Ah! Right home to America. Will you send me more money? I just got a thousand saved. Nobody got saved. If anybody said, I believe in Jesus, and they meant it, they were born again before they ever saw the wordless book. What what are you going to explain to a man that can't understand? Do you remember the days, my brothers and sisters, when we had never, we had read these verses so many times and we had never thought about what they said? And then we read them with understanding? Romans 3.11 absolutely wipes out you explaining anything to anyone and getting them born again. Because until they're born again, they can't understand and don't understand and won't understand and don't want to understand anything spiritual. There is none that seeketh after God. Do you know what mega churches are called today? Seeker sensitive. Who, who are you going to believe? Rick Warren? Bill Heibel? Joel? There aren't any seekers. If a person is seeking the kingdom of God, they're already born again. Amen. You don't have to explain how to get them born again. They're already born again. Oh, what do you do with a passage like this? Did you like Romans 8? Verse 7, the carnal mind is enmity against God. You think you're going to change God's enemies to be God's friends? That's the carnal mind. That's the mind you're born with the first time by your parents. Romans 8, 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is opposed to God. You're going to present God to someone who's opposed to God? You're going to present God's expectations or requirements for you to be born again when it says... That carnal mind is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. There is no inherent ability for it to submit to anything from God because it is at enmity against God. It is a choice of rebellion. It is not an intellectual deficiency. It is a choice of rebellion. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So how are we going to get a person in the flesh into the spirit since they can't please God? So I suggested in my preparatory email to you yesterday that we get them to do something displeasing to God to get born again. Right? Since they can't please God, let's get them to displease God. This is the process you go through when you look at the words, except a man be born again. You start with John 1, 13. You look at the words that the whole, the word that the Holy Spirit chose born. Then you look at the other words, create, Resurrect. Regenerate. Then you look at the condition of man. 
And I'll just go ahead and pass over the next 20 lines and 40 verses of my outline. Then you look at the fact that the Bible denies man's involvement because it says, So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Do you know how you're born again? By mercy. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. How does that mercy come? By decision. God's decision. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. If you will or do things that are pleasing to God, He worked it in you. Philippians 2. Then we go to statements of Scripture about the source or the agent of it. If you look at verse 8 of this very passage, John, I'm sorry, we were at Romans 8, but if you come back to John chapter 3 and verse 8, we want to look at the verses that where the Holy Spirit gives us the source or the agent of being reborn again. Verse 8, the wind bloweth where it listeth. The word listeth means where it chooses, where it wills, where it wants to. The wind blows wherever it wants to. And thou hearest the sound thereof. You can hear wind on objects blowing, making noise, but canst not tell whence, that's from where it cometh, and whither, that's where it goes. You can't tell. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. We cannot direct the Spirit of God. If we could direct the Spirit of God, we would direct that Spirit toward our children. We would direct that Spirit toward our relatives, toward our colleagues, toward everyone in our church. But we can't direct the Spirit of God. We don't know where He's coming from and where He's going. He's the wind. He's like the wind. And He blows wherever He listeth, which means wherever He wants, it is exactly like everything I have already said to you. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. The wind blows where it wills. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Can you get that? So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Taking your baby in a christening gown into a church and getting a little H2O squirted on its forehead does not direct the Spirit of God. Preaching the gospel does not direct the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God had to have already operated for the preaching of the gospel to bear any fruit. Lord, help us see it and to understand it. We progress to the resulting ability obtained by the gift of a new spiritual nature. And that is a, the natural, the spiritual man discerns all things. 1 Corinthians 2.14. A person that believes is already born again. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. 1 John 5.1 and other verses. We progress to simple texts, sample texts abused by some to teach heresies of regeneration. John 3, 5, are you there? Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So they see that word water, they interpret it to mean H2O, they interpret H2O to mean some little infant baby baptizing font invented that God never saw, ordered, commanded, the apostles never used, and stick it into their churches. What does it mean when it says water? Why don't you read the Gospel of John before you read John Kelvin? Because if you get to John chapter 7, it's going to tell you that water in Jesus Christ's doctrine is the Holy Ghost. Someone will say to me, you want to see it? Oh, this is just such a waste of time. Because you shouldn't be talking about John 3 unless you've read the Gospel of John. John 7 and verse 37. In that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, 
Let him come unto me and drink. What men will thirst after righteousness or after Jesus Christ? Only those born again. So is he going to give them to drink of the waters of regeneration? No. He's going to teach them truth to satisfy their hungry soul, made so by regeneration. Verse 38. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now in parentheses, so that you can understand what John 3, 5 is talking about. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, preached the glorious message of God giving the gift of the person of the Holy Ghost to Jesus, who in turn gave the gift of the person of the Holy Ghost to the church. So that we would have the indwelling presence of God with us forever, perpetually, after the day of Pentecost. The water is, is a symbol for the Holy Spirit. When Jesus preaches and he uses the word water, water is a symbol for the Holy Spirit. It's not baptism in John 3, 5. And I don't care what your cross-references say in your center column. Now, let me, you say, well, that would just be redundant. If water equals spirit, then it says in John 3, 5, except a man be born of spirit and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Water is the agent of washing. There is a, there is a person doing the washing and there is an agent of the washing and you say you're making that up. Yes, I am. Thank you. From Titus 3, 5. I'm making it up from Titus 3, 5. And if you want to cross reference, for being born of water and of the Spirit, you will want to put down Titus 3.5. Because listen to this and tell me whether you think it is redundant or not. Titus 3.5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Washing, Holy Ghost. The one doing it, the agent used. The operation performed. The Spirit does it and washes. The Spirit does it and the symbol is water. And it's both in both places and both are talking about the very same event that happens to men. They're born again or they're regenerated. You didn't need any help knowing that John 3, 5 isn't talking about infant baptism. Please. Remember, we have a two-step approach to understanding the Bible. First, what a verse does not mean. Second, what a verse must mean. First, we know that John 3, 5 doesn't have an infant or any kind of baptism in it whatsoever because baptism is only for those that are believers and believers have already been born again before they believe so that they were born again long before they were baptized. We already know that. So we know what the verse is not teaching, so we need to look through the rest of the Bible to find out what it is teaching. And what it is teaching is that the Holy Spirit, symbolized by water in the doctrine of Jesus Christ, performs a washing operation. Beautiful. Amen. You say, why did the Lord write it that way when he knew the people were going to put a set of reference in there tying you to Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be... Anybody got a Mark 16, 16 attached to John 3, 5? Yeah, there's one hand. I got it. Oxford, good old Oxford. Church of England. Yep, bring those babies. Bring, their, bring your babies. Somebody will say, well, Hebrews 4, 12 is how we're born again. Because the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Yeah. They'll raise the Bible and they'll shout, I love my King James Bible, for the word of God is quick and powerful. The only problem is Hebrews 4.12 isn't about the Bible. 
It's about the Lord Jesus Christ, the living Word of God. He's the only one that discerns the thoughts and intents of your heart. No Bible ever yet has been a discerner of anything. It'll expose you if you read it long enough, but it won't discern you. The Lord Jesus Christ, you know, we've been over that one. There's about 20 other proofs that you can show that Hebrews 4.12 is about the living Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Let's look at one more and we'll quit for our break. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Oh, this is a hard one. Are you ready for a hard one? 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 15. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, that's a little hyperbole, for though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Uh Uh-oh. The Corinthian church was born again by the Apostle Paul's evangelistic efforts, according to this verse. Two-step approach. What can it not mean? The Apostle Paul had nothing to do with regenerating the church at Corinth. Is there another explanation for it? Yes. Though they have 10,000 teachers, there was one teacher that got them all started, and they should show him a little bit of respect. Because he was their father by getting them started, by begetting them in their gospel faith. He begat them in their conversion. He was the first one to teach them the truth. Now, say to me, show me that one in the Bible like you did Titus 3.5. Thank you for asking, so I wouldn't have to give it to you presumptuously. Look at Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. Do you know how we end up with these cross-references? By reading the Bible instead of looking for sound bites. Galatians chapter 4. Because we're gonna, I'm going to show you a serious problem if you want to think that 1 Corinthians 4.15 means that Paul regenerated that church. Galatians 4. You want a cross-reference for 1 Corinthians 4.15? Galatians 4.19. Watch. My little children. Yep. There's Paul. He begat all the Galatians as well. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Oh, no. Now we've got double regeneration by the Apostle Paul. They're his children once, starting the verse, and he's going to do it to them again before he can get out of the verse. What's he talking about? I converted you to the understanding of Jesus Christ. You ran away you ran away from it, sorry. You ran away from it to add the works of the law to the finished work of Christ. Now I'm forming Christ in you again by correcting that error and getting you back to trusting Jesus Christ and him only. Paul was their father and they were his children in conversion, meaning coming to an understanding of the truth. But the life-giving nature that was in them was given by God only. Do you you understand? We know what 1 Corinthians 4.15 can't mean. So then we look a little ways in Paul's writing, we find out exactly what it does mean. It's forming Christ in their understanding. Because remember what it says in Galatians 5, it's going to say in verse 4, Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. They haven't fallen from grace literally. They haven't fallen from God's grace. They had fallen from their understanding of grace. That's all you can... When God shows His grace towards you, do you think you can fall out of His grace? Are you kidding me? No way. But can you fall out of the right understanding of grace? Easily. 
if we're not faithful to God's word, we're monergists. You may not even know what that means. It's a little theological, soteriological term used today, meaning there is no cooperation between men and God getting a person born again. We're monergists, meaning there is no cooperation between God and men. It's by God only. We're not synergists, meaning God and men work together and they make a great team. We don't believe any of that. It's our cause. When we come back, we'll examine, are we born again? Why did God regenerate us? And how should we use that new life? And how much do we owe Him? May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Please stand with me.